to those streaming online, welcome. Interesting title. Normally a title like that is something that you, you give to a lesson where you're not sure what to call it. All the references, scriptural references I'll make today will be from the New American Standard Version. The scriptures tell us when writing about the church at Laodicea, it says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Let's have a look at another one. To the Jewish Christians now, it is written in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is difficult to explain since you have become poor listeners. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Both of these references are made um, and written to a church to describe um, the state of their faith, if you like. Not very good. Now that begs the question, looking at those two verses and examining ourselves, where are we? on our journey of faith. Where, where are we situated? Are we doing well? We're not doing not so well? Where should we be on this journey by now, at this point in our lives, having been a Christian for X number of years? Where should we be? What if we are not where we should be? Behind schedule, head of schedule. Do we all, or should we all progress in our faith at the same rate, each of us? What if I do a bit of backsliding? I'm slipping a bit, going through a rough time, and not quite where I should be. The question is, the million dollar question is, or what, today with inflation I suppose it's a billion dollar question, right? The billion-dollar question is, can we monitor our progress, our faith? Can we monitor that? Can we measure it in some way? I've got a, a life meter over there that kind of gives an indication of where we're at in life, in our, in our walk of faith. Well, I suppose the good news is, yes, we can measure where we are. We can measure our faith. This lovely instrument here, it's even got instructions. It says on here, cold, lukewarm, hot. <laughs> All right. It says I'm on fire for the Lord. <laughs> we can measure it, but of course, it's not as simple as a, a gauge like that. If we have a look at the scriptures... The scripture that Milton read to us today, and now, pardon for the very small writing here, but we're not going to actually read from here. I just want to show you 
this verse that Milton read, these three verses that he read are kind of like in the center there in red. And I want to show you that this is the immediate context, obviously. And in the broader context, that's the writing in the black, we have a number of references, and I've, I've indicated them in red here, that refer to these core qualities that Christians have. So there's reference to them before and after. And it's an indication that they're important. They're important in our lives because everything refers to them and makes reference to them and highlights them, maybe not in red, but it highlights them to us uh, that these are the qualities that we need to have. And first of all, why do we need these qualities? The scriptures on either side of that core scriptural reference um, talks about how if we have these qualities, we can become partakers of the divine nature, where we can become or start to become like God, if you like, imitating God. By having these qualities, we can do these things. It also talks here about if we have these things, if we practice these things, if we work on these qualities, um, they are both useful and productive within our lives and perhaps within the life of other people who are looking at us, setting an example to them. It also tells us about how having these qualities can help us prevent blindness, short-sightedness, and obviously we're not talking about physical blindness or short-sightedness, but the way we perceive life and the faith that we have, the outlook we have on life. We can sometimes be blind and short-sighted and very, very forgetful, perhaps emphasis on forgetful. Another reason why we need these qualities is that we need protection from stumbling. Brother Joseph touched on it this morning about how we need to confess our sins to one another because this will help us in our journey of faith. This will help a brother if we pray for them in time. It will prevent them from stumbling. Protection from stumbling is another one of these reasons why we have or should have these qualities in our lives. And of course, in verse 11, um, it says, and I'll read it, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Another very good reason why we would need to pursue these Christian qualities because of entrance into the Lord's kingdom. So we see through all those verses, verse 4, 8, 9, 10, and 11, they all talk about why we need to have these qualities in our lives. So I suppose the next question is, um, how do we get these qualities? Do we put the Bible under our pillow at night and sleep on it, and the next morning it's there? How do we get them? No, I don't think... It's going to be as easy as that, taking a nap. Verse 5 tells us that for now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply, moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. So it talks there about diligence. What is diligence? Diligence is more than just something that comes easy. It's something that requires effort consistently. 
We can attain these qualities through diligence. Verse 8 highlights something very important, and it will become crucial to um, the point that I'm trying to make in my sermon today. It talks about how we need to attain these qualities in increasing measure. This is not like a, a list of things where, all right, I got that tick, I've got that tick. No. It doesn't end there. You don't say that you have this. I have self-control. It's something you work on. It's something that you increase in and get better in and sharpen these qualities. So it's not like a list that you would have, I suppose, if you think of the fruits of the Spirit. Of course, self-control is one. Um, The fruits of the Spirit are kind of like a list, not in any particular order of the qualities that we need. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about that. But there is something different about this list. These three verses, verses 5 to 7, there's something specific about this list that says it's not just a list listed in random particular order. There's some kind of logic and reason behind it. In fact, the order of these attributes, these qualities that we need to have, is very, very specific. And we'll have a look at that as time goes by. And the word they use here that talks about how the one, and then it progresses, you have this, and then it progresses on to the next. The word that they've got there is epichoreisater. That's a long, it's a long Greek word. And it means basically supplement to add to or to supplement. So you have one particular quality, and that will help and go a long way in adding to and, and uh, having the next quality in the list, if you like, in the sequence. That is Zen. Another very critical thing about this list is the grouping of these qualities. Very important, just as important as the sequence that they are listed in. So let's have a look deeper, and let's go and let's zone in to these particular um, qualities and attributes that we should have, and let's see what we can find from that. Let's see if we can see uh, whether there's a way we can measure our uh, spiritual faith that we have. All right, let's first have a look at the grouping of these um, particular qualities. Now... The scriptures, in the form that we have them today, um, we don't, the original text didn't have chapters and verses and section headings and things like that. They weren't like that, but somebody decided how they would divide the word and give it verses and chapters. And coincidentally, the way they have allocated the verses that describe these eight uh, qualities is done perfectly for me, for my illustration. Verses 5 talks about, and this is where we're going to, where I'm going to explain, and I'll show you why the title of my sermon is Tools, Techniques, and Thoughts. So verse 5 talks about a grouping of these qualities that I want to call tools. And those tools are faith, goodness, or works, if you like, and knowledge. And it is those qualities that we grow on our walk of faith. Tools that we need. And they're right on the top of the list because it kind of like all starts with tools. 
Then the second grouping, if you like, in verse 6 shows us another three. Self-control, perseverance, and godliness. These three are qualities that we develop as we go on our walk of faith. And then the last grouping in verse 7 is kind of like the, the climax, the most important grouping is something that we're working towards. The other two um, tools and techniques are leading up to this. And these are thoughts or feelings that we have. And these are thoughts and feelings that we nurture based on what we've learned before with techniques and what's available to us in the form of tools. We nurture these feelings, and we have the example of brotherly kindness or brotherly love, if you like to call it that, and then love itself. So these are the groupings of these qualities. Let's have a look. Let's zoom in on, on the tools. Let's see what tools we have. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. I suppose everything begins with faith, right? And I would imagine it's a very small amount of faith. I like to call it a, <clears throat> a mustard seed of faith, if you like, or a speck of faith. It all begins there. And then what does that do? That faith is something that starts a process. It builds we can build on from that process started by faith. And that it brings about in us the desire to want to show our good morals, our goodness, and uh, reflect our works, the things we do, the things we say. It inspires us to do that. So it leads on from that, from the faith that we have. And then from there, um, the last part is the idea of knowledge. We're now hungry. We have faith. We've seen that the works that we performed have reaped benefits, have produced fruit. And now we want to know more. We want to know more about what we can do now uh, and further to increase our faith. And so we have knowledge. But you'll also notice that these first three qualities, these tools that we use, are also cyclical in nature. It's not like we start with one and that progress to another and then to another. No, you'll find that all these tools support each other and work together, can only work together. These qualities need to work together. Yes, we do see in John chapter 14, verse 12. I'll have a look at that. John chapter 14, verse 12 says this. I should be looking at this on my phone, you know. John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he, he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Talks about how our belief, our belief in Jesus, results in us doing wonderful works, Works that we can do um, that, will, that will really show just who we are, what type of a Christian we are. And it's this belief that inspires these works in us. Now, of course, we have 
Romans 10, 17, that talks about how faith comes by hearing the message. See, here we're talking uh, about a situation where faith is not the first. This is the message that starts everything. The knowledge that we gain from the message, the word of God, that brings about our faith. So you can start to see how these things are working in a cyclical nature. Faith can produce wonderful works, but faith can also be preceded by a knowledge that gets everything moving. It kind of like supports, the one supports the other, and it goes in a cyclical nature. Another one talks there about um, faith, how faith without works is dead. In other words, we can't say that we have faith, or at least have a faith that has any kind of meaning or quality about it, unless we have works, unless we show it through our works. So we talk about this faith and this works working together. These tools working together to improve us as a person. Let's have a look at James chapter 4, verse 17. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do, and does not do it, to him it is sin. We won't know what it is that we need to do. We won't know what works we need to perform unless we have a knowledge of what it is that we need to do. And the word of God is our instruction on what to do. And so here we see how the knowledge produces shows us, leads us to understanding what is required of us from our faith and we perform those works. Well, let's have a look at techniques now. So we had a look at the first three. Those are the tools. Those are the basis for which these qualities that we are pursuing, that, that's how they begin. We use these tools. That's how it starts for us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Again, there's a very, very specific order in which these three are mentioned. And we're going to have a look at that and see why there is logic to that order. First of all, we have self-control. Self-control is not a word used, actually, in the New Testament. It's only used four times. And self-control, well, we know what self-control means. It's a fruit of the Spirit, amongst many other fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is just, you know, what, uh, what we do to ensure that we don't do the wrong thing. That's what self-control is. It's an act or it's a display um, in isolation, I'd like to call it, that whenever we find ourselves in a situation perhaps that we didn't expect, we need to deal with that situation and it sometimes requires us to have or express self-control in that situation. Then from there we move on to endurance. Now, endurance is very similar to self-control. In fact, it's eerily similar. It's just that endurance, uh, and, and the Greek word there is hupo monane, endurance is kind of like repeated acts of self-control. 
during a certain time or phase within your life. A time that's a, a very, very difficult time in your life. I'd perhaps use an example, a funny example. Um, let's say I was a student who lived um, near town and uh, I need to go every day. I walk, I can't afford a car yet, so I walk every day and I go to the, the campus in town. And along the way, there's this beautiful bakery shop that sells all those wicked things that they, that they sell. So when I walk past that shop, I need to practice self-control, right? In order to make sure that, you know, I don't go and go in there and buy 10 and stuff my face with it and I'm late for my lectures. I need to practice self-control. Now, endurance is something different. Endurance means that, well, I'm, how long am I studying? How long am I living there? How long is my course? Say three years. All right, that means three years of my life, I now go to walk past this shop every day that there are lectures, I get to walk past the shop. And that's what we call endurance. Endurance is practicing the self-control every day, repeatedly, during a particular phase within our lives. Right, in this case, um, studying whatever it is that I'm studying. We also read in James chapter 5, verse 11, and, and the same word here, hupomonein, is used here to describe the endurance of Job. And it's a very good example for us to understand what endurance is. Because what, what, are, we, what are we talking about when we, when we talk about the endurance of Job? We all know the story of Job. And for those who don't know, Job is someone that um, God blessed bountifully. And the devil came around one day and says, well, the only reason why um, he still loves you, God, is because you bless him so much. So God and the devil make an agreement that the devil can take away everything that Job has but spare his life. And of course, as the story goes on, Job was still faithful to God despite losing his possessions, his cattle, his friends, everything that was good, a good life that represented a good life to him. But still he was faithful to God. That represents a phase in his life. I don't know how long it was that he endured this uh, temptation where he had to practice this self-control, but it was for a particular phase in his life. Let's say it was a year. I don't know how long it was. But he had to practice this endurance every single time it presented itself that, hey, you should denounce God because look at all these things that are happening to you. It's because of God. So that's endurance. Let me have a look at the last one of these techniques. I call them techniques. You will notice that tools, techniques, and thoughts all begin with the letter T. That's just to help me remember it, I suppose. Godliness. What is godliness? Now, godliness is not something you spell with a capital letter. It is here because it's the beginning of a sentence. Godliness is eusebia, is the, the Greek word, and it's used 15 times. And Godliness is more than just an act, like self-control. It's more than just something we practice going through a particular phase in our lives. Godliness is something that's a lifelong commitment. Second First Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says this, For kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life, in all godliness 
and dignity. It's a lifestyle. A quiet, tranquil life with godliness. It's a lifestyle that we have um, for our entire lives or that we should aspire to have for our entire lives. Not just a phase in our life. It's something that we should become. It's not something we have, it's something we become in our lives. So this last technique of godliness is something that we should aspire to. And suppose if we're evaluating our lives and we look at these things, where we're at, where are we? Are we still at self-control? Have we learned endurance? Or have we attained some kind of godliness? We're kind of like measuring it. Where, where are we at in our lives? And before we get on to thoughts, the last of those uh, groupings of um, qualities, I want to just recap on a few things here. In pursuit of these qualities, it says, and just to recap, we need to have diligence, right? And it needs to be done in an increasing manner. We need to improve each of these qualities Daily, weekly, whatever it is, we need to improve it. Now we need to have an upward trend. You look at it on a graph, it needs to go up. We also need to pursue these things not only with diligence and increasingly. We need to pursue them with genuineness. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because godliness isn't always what it appears to be. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 says this, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's an example of how godliness, or as they call it here, a form of godliness. I think the Greek word is morphe, which is, kind of means a shape or a form of godliness. Although this godliness is not genuine because it doesn't have power. It's not going to help you develop the qualities that we have not even looked at yet. It needs to be genuine. And it also represents people who are learning, talks there about always learning, improving. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Improve, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. So it appears to be godliness. It appears to be someone who's attained a high level. I don't know if you can think of examples of people in your life where you think of them, and you look at them and say, wow, that, guy, that guy's a really a strong Christian, or that girl's really a strong Christian. Perhaps you think of a monk in a, in a monastery who's dedicated his entire life to pursuing these ideals. And you look at them and you, you look how old they are and they've been monks their entire life and you look, well, that must be a godly person, right? Godliness is not always what it appears to be. It needs to be genuine. Here's another one. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says this. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. All right, there's a caveat, there's a footnote there. 
may look like godliness, but if it's not accompanied by contentment, in other words, if you're using this godliness for some kind of personal gain, because you don't think you have enough, you want to gain more, more status, more fame, whatever it is you're trying to gain. If it's not accompanied by contentment, it is not true, it is not genuine godliness. So based on that, we've come down this list, we've had a look at these three tools um, of knowledge, faith, works, and we've had a look at these three techniques of self-control, perseverance, and godliness. Now, where, what are we working towards? What are we culminating towards? Thoughts and feelings. That's where we're going. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says this, And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So these two qualities, when you look at them, I can see a lot of depth in them. I can see why they put towards the end of this list. Because this is what we aspire to when we can get ourselves in a situation where our thoughts and our feelings are genuine. Then we can say that we've accomplished something. So the first one is brotherly love. Philadelphian used six times in the New Testament. Um, what, they even have a city named after it, didn't it? Brotherly love, brotherly kindness, as, the, as some of the translations have it. Um, what is brotherly love? Well, it's in reference to the second greatest commandment that we have, that Jesus speaks to us about in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Getting ourselves to a, a situation where we can love someone genuinely, and deeply. And basically, this kind of love is a love that we show. We show it to one another by the things we do for each other, by the things we say to encourage each other. We show this love, this kindness to our brother or sister. Then we have the last one on the list. And of course, we'd have to end with agape, wouldn't it? Love. It's used, well, it's used a lot of times in uh, the New Testament. That kind of like tells you something, doesn't it? It's something that we aspire to. Love is what we aspire to, this unconditional agape kind of love. That's why it's used so many times. And it's the greatest commandment as seen and declared by Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 39. Now, this kind of love is not so much Yes, it is a love that can be seen in what we show, what we do, but it's also a love that defines who we are as a person, as someone who has faith and has a direction in life. It defines who we are. If we can get ourselves to that point where our feelings are genuine and sincere, then we can say that the reading on this is quite high, and where it probably should be. We also get in First John chapter four, verse eight, it talks about this concept of being love. If we imitate God and we imitate His love, just like God is love, we can also, by honing these qualities, become love. We can become love itself. 
All right, so this is kind of like in a nutshell what I've been talking about. He has these um, qualities all together and how they work and how they flow and how they group together. Now, none of this works. None of these qualities work. doesn't help if you have all these qualities. None of it works unless we are diligent. Something that we pursue diligently all the time. It also doesn't work if we don't progress these qualities increasingly. It also doesn't work if we're not genuine about our approach and what we do to go about getting these qualities. It also doesn't work, this is perhaps the most important thing, it also doesn't work if our ultimate direction in life is not love. It doesn't matter where those others are going, if they're not going in the right direction, if they're not culminating in love, they're worthless. That's what it is in a nutshell. This is what we can use to try and gauge and assess ourselves. And when we do a, an evaluation of ourselves, to try and work out where are we at. Are we behind schedule? Are we ahead of schedule? We can use these qualities. We can use this scripture and many other scriptures to look at our lives and say, well, am I in the right place? Am I doing what I should be doing? Have I progressed as far as I should have progressed? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Now, I don't know where you are um, on your journey of faith. I don't know what the reading is. When you put this in your ear, wherever you want to put it, I don't know what your reading is. I don't know where you're at. I don't know whether you're cold, lukewarm, or hot, or on fire for God. But you need to evaluate yourself all the time. It's a process that is continual. We need to continue to read the scriptures. We need to continually pray as the Bible talks about how we pray without ceasing. It also talks about how we need to evaluate ourselves. If you think of a scripture like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that tells me something very clear. That is a lot of effort put in it, and there's a lot of reevaluation along the way. So I don't know where it is, where you are in your life. And if you're not a Christian, I don't know. Maybe you might even have some of these qualities. But maybe you think that these qualities don't seem to have a direction. Don't seem to culminate somewhere. They're just like things on the list that you try and have and try and cultivate in your life. You have the opportunity to read the Word. You can talk to anyone here today about how we can get these qualities reading the word, developing our faith. So I want you to think about those things as together we stand and sing the hymn of invitation.